The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tail of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore, During the prologue, we were introduced to our story's first, and probably not last, main characters. They begin the tale as prisoners of some goblin slavers, and are being force-marched through a forest to some point of sale. On the way, the group is attacked by a young ogre, who dispatches two of the goblin slavers and sends the other two off, running for their lives. Although the ogre does kill two of the prisoners, the rest of the group manages to survive when Eridine, a thief, slips her bonds and, before taking off into the woods alone, leaves behind a dagger with which they cut themselves free. Chapter 1 Part 1 Day 1 Morning Party Status Soli, 9 of 9 hit points. Kagan, 8 out of 8 hit points. Umura, 5 out of 5 hit points. Gyrios, 7 out of 7 hit points. Led by Gyrios, the group made its way, ostensibly, back in the direction from which they had come. As they walked, the sun began to climb in the sky, and the day became warm. Birdsong filled the air, a strange counterpart to the horrors they had just endured. Several hours passed by, with the group following Gyrios, listening to their own labored breathing, not pausing to rest. They did not stop until the sun was directly above them. We need to take a short break, said Kagan, calling the group to a halt. He took a seat on a nearby fallen log. We have some distance now between us and that creature. Hopefully, we're free of danger for now. Umura, the woman with the tattoos, sat down beside him. I second that. Let us rest a moment and take our bearings. The first thing we should do, suggested Kagan, looking in turn at each of the others, is to introduce ourselves. If we're to live, or if we're to die, together, it's the God's will. But why not do it on a first-name basis? Gyrio squatted down nearby and squinted up at the canopy above. I just don't understand it. We should have come to a creek by now. Perhaps, said the larger man. But for now, let us be well met. 
My name is Kagan. I used to live in Briar Hill, a small town some ten days' journey from here if I reckon correctly and were somewhere inside the Kingswood. More recently, I have called Sparrow Lake my home. Do you know either place? Nobody seemed to recognize either name. My lady, who might you be? The tattooed woman who sat beside him straightened her back. I am called Umura. My homeland is far from here. I... I'm not certain how long I have been a captive of the goblins, but I believe it has been several weeks. Pity's sake, exclaimed Kagan. Weeks? Perhaps as much as two or three months, long enough to have learned some of their words at any rate. The other human squatted with his back against a tree. He looked tired and gaunt, as did they all. For me, I am Gyrios, a missionary from Camranth, and a disciple of Mazagar, the Eternal Flame. The goblins took me a week ago as I traveled from one small hamlet to another, preaching the word. Kagan looked at the only member who had not yet spoken. And you, Master Dwarf? How shall we call you, and what is your tale? The dwarf, who had not sat but stood motionless with arms folded across his chest, seemed reluctant to speak. Finally, he mumbled, Call me Soli. I'm a son of the Skundrumwar. You humans call it the Windless Rise. I've not heard of it, said Gagan. Though in truth, I have not ever traveled far from my village. Had I made it to Burke, that would have been the farthest I had ever been from home. Well, now we are met, said Gyrios, a little abruptly. Uh, perhaps we should see if we cannot determine our bearings. Sir Dwarf, uh, Master Soli, was it? I have heard that your people have a keen sense of direction. Can you determine which way is north? Above ground? No, I cannot help in this, came the curt reply. Gyrios walked off a few paces, looking up occasionally, and looking lost in general. We must think about supplies. Food and water, said Kagan. What have we taken from the goblins? The four shared what they had taken with them, and each took a long drink from the water skins. Together, the party had the following items. Several short wrist bindings of rope. Two belts and pouches, together containing three small flecked rocks, eight copper coins, and two silver. Two small water skins, each half full. A broken short bow with a good bowstring, and a dagger with a dented tip. You take this, said Umura, passing Keg in the dagger. You look like you can use it well. Master Soli, will you hold the coins? Soli took the coins, belt, and pouch offered. He inspected the small rocks, frowned, and threw them away. Then he put the coins back in the pouch and belted it to his waist. Umura put the other belt and pouch around her own waist. I'll carry the broken bow and the string. We might find a use for them. I can take a water skin as well. Sir Girios, will you take the other? Hmm? Oh, yes, of course. The cleric marched back and took the skin from Umura. I don't know how it's possible, but I do not believe we've been traveling in a straight line. We should have crossed a creek an hour ago. If the fault is mine, I apologize, but I believe we are lost. May Mazagar light our way. Like I said, being lost is not the worst of our problems, insisted Kagan. We're hungry, and soon we'll want for water as well. When night falls, these woods will not seem such a welcoming place either, I am sure. We should choose a direction and take it. Food and shelter must be our priority. 
Gumora picked a leaf from the ground. Let us drop this leaf at whichever direction it points. That way we shall go. Perhaps your god will guide us. Gumora let the leaf go, and it floated lazily to the forest floor. It pointed to their destiny. The party has moved from their place of brief respite. From here, wandering encounter rolls will be made for every two hours they travel. For the first four hours, the party encounters nothing but wilderness. On the fifth hour, a wandering encounter is indicated. I've created a table of possible encounters for this woods. It includes a variety of hostile random creatures of various lethality. It also includes a chance for special encounters, such as running into the young ogre from the prologue. I'll post this table on taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The roll. A nine. The party has encountered a group of three giant spiders. Dramatis Personae. Soli. Soli is a level one dwarven fighter. He has gray eyes and a very prominent nose. His hair is black, as is his beard, which hangs from his chin in a thick braid. Soli stands four foot six inches tall and weighs 150 pounds, a little above average for a full-grown dwarf. Soli believes in actions over words and doesn't talk very much especially with humans whom he regards as indecisive, often insincere, chatterboxes. He is a man of principle and will not hesitate to defend what he feels to be right with force, if necessary. In a fight, he heads straight to the front and contributes fearlessly. He prefers to use a hammer or mace, but is comfortable with any handheld weapon. He disdains missile weapons in general. Soli hails from the Skundramoir, also known as the Windless Rise, a nearby mountain. His clan had been conducting business with a nearby human village, or for leather goods and foodstuffs, when Soli and his brother Molgi were attacked and captured by goblins on the trip home. Soli secretly believes that his brother's capture is his fault and has a burning need inside to redeem himself. He also hopes against hope that his brother might still be alive. Umura. Umura is a human magic user. She has shoulder-length straight brown hair and has a habit of constantly tucking it behind her ears, a habit from spending so many hours with books. Her brown eyes often appear somewhat sunken and tired-looking, another side effect from her many hours at study. Her skin is smooth and pale because she has spent most of her 34 years of life indoors. Mystic tattoos cover approximately 10% of her exposed skin from the neck down. Umura stands 5 foot 9 and weighs 128 pounds. She is neither strong nor fast and relies on her wit alone to overcome problems. Umura is egotistical and extremely intelligent. She can have a nasty, sarcastic, and dry sense of humor that many people do not appreciate. She has a remarkable memory and uses it to hold a grudge for a long time over perceived and real slights. She does not have many true friends, in part because she considers herself above most people. Umura has been deeply affected by her capture, which occurred while she was on the road to Polbrook in hopes of studying with the famous sage Will Godin, 
she has been violated by the goblins mentally and physically, and will carry a lifelong loathing of their kind. She longs for revenge. She also hopes to recover her prized possession, her spellbook, if it has not been lost or destroyed. Without it, she is almost powerless. It also represents her life's work so far. Chapter 1, Part 2, Day 1, Late Afternoon. The party's marching order is as follows. Single file, with Kagan in front, followed by Umura, Girios, and Soli in the rear. In the late afternoon, the party encounters three giant spiders. These creatures have bodies the size of dinner plates. With legs fully extended, they're the size of small round shields. In Tale of the Manticore, all monsters will enjoy a hit point benefit, although not as good as the characters do. Monsters will min out at half hit points. The roll for our giant spiders. Each has four hit points, an AC of four, and deal one point of damage on a successful hit. They also have a weak poison that, on a failed save, deals an additional one to four points of damage. Because they're the kind of creature that can ambush their prey, I will rule that they cannot be surprised, but the party can be. I'll also rule that, while Kagan is the only character to have a weapon, the Goblin's Dagger, the other players will have found some form of staff, club, or crude spear from the forest's plentiful deadwood. These weapons will do one to two points of damage each. Since the party suffers from hunger, now being over three days without food, they will each get a minus one to their attack rolls. I will further rule that there's a 50% chance that Umura has her single spell, Shield, still available to her the roll. She does still have the spell, but with no spellbook, once she casts the spell, it is gone for good. The party had just entered a clearing when Kagan uttered an oath and waved his arms in front of his face as though suddenly blinded. In turn, each of the characters felt a sensation like sticky cotton across their faces and arms as they stumbled into the web of three giant spiders. Surprise roll. The spiders cannot be surprised. The party's roll. A four. They are not surprised. Initiative. The spiders. A six. The party. A four. The spiders have won. The party has to take a moment to tear the sticky webbing from their faces. In this moment, the spiders drop on their prey from above. The first spider will attack solely. Soli has an AC of 9, and the spider needs a 10 to hit him. The result. A 13. That's a hit. Soli takes one point of damage. He must also save versus poison. Here's Soli's saving throw. He needs an 8. A 12. Soli's lucky. He takes only the one point of damage. The next spider attacks Girios. Girios has an AC of 8. The spider needs an 11 to hit him. A 1. That's a critical fail. This is a good time to talk about critical fails and hits. In Tale of the Manticore, I will rule that a critical fail in melee means that something has gone wrong. 
and that not only does the current attack miss, but that the next round, that attacker will not get a turn. For missile fire, I may rule, given the right circumstance, that there is friendly fire. For a critical hit, I'll rule that the strike does maximum damage, plus an additional roll of the die. Spider number three attacks Kagan. Kagan has an AC of nine, and the spider needs a 10 to hit him. Here's the roll. A seven, the spider misses. Now it's the party's turn. Soli attacks a spider. Each spider has an AC of seven. Soli needs a 12. With this penalty, he'll need a 13. Here's the roll. A four, Soli has missed. Umura attacks another spider. She needs a 14 because of her various penalties. The roll. A 17, Umura has hit a spider. With her strength penalty, she can only do one point of damage, so she does one damage. Next is Gyrios. Gyrios needs a 13 to hit. The roll. A 9. He misses. Kagan strikes. He needs a 12. A 16. Kagan has hit with his dagger. A dagger does 1 to 4 points of damage. Let's roll for it. A 3. The first round of combat is over, and we're back to initiative. Here are the rolls. The spiders. A three. The party. A two. The spiders have won again. The party is still pulling webbing from their eyes and finding their footing. The spiders are riding their victims. The first spider stays with Soli and attacks him. It needs a ten. The result. An eight. The spider misses. The next spider attacks Gyrios. He had a critical miss last turn and will miss this round of combat. The third spider attacks Kagan. It needs a 10. A 13. He's done one point of damage and Kagan must roll a save versus poison. Kagan needs a 12 or better. The roll. A 16. Kagan is lucky too. Now it's the party's turn. Soli attacks his spider. He needs a 13. A 4. Umura attacks hers. She needs a 14. The roll. A 7. Umura has missed as well. Gyrios attacks. He needs a 13. A 16. Gyrios has hit for 2 points. Kagan strikes as well. He needs a 12. The roll. An 8. Not good enough. Two spiders are near death. I will rule that these creatures do not roll morale checks. They will stay and fight to the death. Uh. Round three of combat. It's initiative again. Here are the rolls. The spiders. A six. The party. A three. The spiders win a third time in a row. Uh. I'll roll a 20% chance that the spiders will choose to attack new victims. Here's the roll. There will be no changes. Soli's spider attacks him. An eight, that's a miss. Gyrios' spider attacks him. Here's the roll. A four, also a miss. Kagan is attacked by his spider. This spider needs a 10. Another one, that's a critical miss. That spider will miss its next turn. Now the party's up. Soli attacks. A four, another miss, Umura. A one. She will also be penalized and miss her next attack. Gyrios. 
15. That spider had only one hit point left, so Gyrios has killed it. Kagan. An eight. Another miss for Kagan. Two spiders now remain, and we're back to initiative. The spiders. A four. The party. A five. Finally, the party has won initiative. Watching Gyrios skewer one of the creatures with his stick has given the characters a second wind. They fight with renewed vigor. Soli attacks. A 19. He hits four. One point of damage. Umura is next, but she rolled a critical fail last turn and misses her attack this turn. Gyrios. A six. That's a miss. Kagan. A 15. He strikes with his dagger for one to four points. The roll. It's three points. Kagan has killed his spider, and now only one remains. The last spider is on Soli's shoulder. It attempts to bite him. With a three, it misses, and we are back to initiative. The last spider. A two. The party. A six. The party has won again. Everybody is trying to crush this last spider. Soli. A three. That's a miss. Umura. A 15. She has hit the spider, but she can only do one point of damage and the spider is not dead yet. Curious. A 15. I'll roll for damage. Two points. That's enough. This spider is dead and combat is over. The party has been extremely fortunate in its first fight. Time will tell if it was beginner's luck. With the three spiders dead, the party wipes the stinking green guts off their arms and, panting, takes stock of their condition. Only Soli and Kagan were harmed, and both have puncture marks in their skin. But it appears they knocked the spiders clear before any poison could be injected. The party might not have even realized the creatures were venomous if they did not discover the bodies of two frogs, mummified in webbing. When unwrapped, the bodies were a sickly bluish black and had an unnatural acrid smell to them. Do not even think of eating those, said Umura. I will rule that there is a 5% chance that the party will find any kind of treasure or anything of value here in the spider's lair. A 34. Nothing useful here. So, how about experience points? I'll be abandoning the entire experience point system as presented in Basic Dungeons & Dragons. A system like that is just too bulky to use on a podcast. In Tale of the Manticore, characters will be rewarded for surviving episodes. Our characters will reach level 2 if they survive 10 episodes of this podcast. Advancement will become more difficult thereafter. We should move on in case there are others, said Gyrios, wiping his makeshift spear clean on a leaf. Kagan, will you lead the way? The party continued in the direction it had chosen, cresting a low rise and circling around some thicker undergrowth. The sun began to dip, casting long shadows where it broke the canopy. Several hours passed. Wandering monster checks. 
no wandering monsters are indicated. I'll be adding a new rule. In addition to wandering monster checks, I'll add a chance for a random major discovery for each day of travel. Hmm, the dice indicate that the party has found something of interest. As evening fell, Soli, who had not said a word since morning, called a halt. I can feel something in the distance ahead. Can you sense it? Everyone stopped to consider. No, said Umora, but I think I can hear something. Is that the wind? No, it's a river, said Kagan. That's the sound of water. I hear it too. Praise Mazagar, said Gyrios. Heedless of danger, the party rushed forward toward the sound. Within a few minutes, the sound became unmistakable, and then the welcome sight of a small river came into view. The river was easily narrow enough to wade through, probably being only three or four feet deep at its lowest point. We may starve, but we will not die of thirst, said Umora, smiling for the first time in weeks. She dumped the stale water from her skin and raced toward the river. Not only that, added Kyrios, following the magic user. We may be able to follow this river out of here. All rivers flow to the sea, isn't that what they say? The party took full advantage of the river that evening as the sun set, drinking their fill, and then setting aside their rags so they could bathe. They joyously washed the webbing and grime from their bodies. No one gave a thought to modesty. By the time they were clean and refreshed, the sun was very low. We'll have to make camp here, said Kagan, though we have nothing with which to make fire. It will be a long, dangerous night. Wolves often prowl the riverside, you know. But perhaps if we can pass this night without incident, there's hope. I will make four wandering monster checks during the night. If they're discovered by a roaming hostile creature, the party will be at great disadvantage, as they'll be forced to fight in the dark. They'll take turns on watch, each standing sentry for two hours in the following order. Umura, Kagan, Soli, Gyrios. With a little bit of luck, the night might pass in peace. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. This has been a remastered version. If you like what you've heard, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. These reviews and ratings help a great deal. For show notes, behind-the-scenes info, rants, and random thoughts, please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The story will continue. In the next chapter of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Chapter 2